just... Today's reading is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. It can be found on page 958 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, why don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset by many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. The word of the Lord. God, we are weary. We're troubled over many things. And you say to us that you are a stronghold in times of trouble. Well, prove it. It's, um, it's a troubled world that we find ourselves in. Our hearts are heavy with the news from all over, from Nice. We just don't understand that kind of chaos, that kind of hatred, barbarism. We're still reeling from the news out of Dallas and the news out of Minneapolis and Baton Rouge and so many other places in our country where the division seems so raw. God, say something to us today. Comfort us. Those songs we sang said that we can lay our heads on you and find true rest. It's hard hard to believe that. So will you break through? No matter where we are, you know us. Speak the words to each one as we need to hear. Amen. Pokemon Go. I don't, I don't know anything. So this is the time where let's just pretend I say something pithy and poignant about Pokemon Go and our culture. Okay? There. I said it. I don't, 
I guess catch them all, but don't fall into a ditch <laughs> or get hit by a car. And put it on pause now, maybe. I don't know, just for a few minutes. Sorry, kids, I don't have any treats or Pokemon Go to give you for listening. So you don't have to listen. <laughs> Nobody. So the Gospel of Luke takes nine chapters to talk about who Jesus is. And the last two weeks, in chapter 10, we're talking about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And so the last two weeks, we've had these dramatic stories about going on bold, courageous missionary journeys, casting out demons, healing right and left. And then last week, this amazing story about barrier-breaking love from a hated stranger. That was an amazing message. Go listen to it by Sam. Thank you, Sam. Sam told me that uh, the ADA hasn't, uh, hasn't uh, approved a second listening, but I don't believe it. Uh, a great story about a hated stranger showing this love that we're supposed to then go emulate a very difficult, if not impossible task. Love your neighbors? Well, okay, who are they? Everyone. Oh, gosh. Really? Everyone? That's what we're... So this call to action the last two weeks, and now, continuing in Luke 10, we have the way to do that, and it's through silence, solitude. We have an invitation to sit at the feet of Jesus. This action that we're called to is impossible, it's difficult, but the atmosphere that we're to do it in is so saturated with grace because we know that the real ultimate neighbor, Jesus, is the one who keeps on loving, keeps on sacrificing. And we have an opportunity to sit at his feet. And the way he calls, it to, calls us to that is with no guilt trip. That's really hard for us to do. You can't get anyone to do anything without a little pinch of guilt sometimes. But Jesus does it. And he invites us into his place of stillness. So this story is not quite as dramatic as the last ones in Luke 10. It's an everyday story. A kitchen, a living room, two sisters preparing a meal, and one of them does all the work. Does that sound familiar at all? Does that happen? It's such a daily thing, a, you know, a, a mundane thing that we find day to day. Do you find it in your house? I do in mine. Who does everything? I don't know. Susie. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, everyday situations add up to a lifetime and make you who you are. Cultivated habits in the mundane day-to-day -day can either center you in a non-anxious presence, like Mary is in this story, or you can allow circumstances to spin you out of control, like Martha. Now, Martha doesn't seem out of control. 
She is the one who's in charge. She's in top of, on top of everything. She's running a lot of things. She's running the house. You notice that she invites Jesus to her house. She kind of makes it clear. She's just that kind of person. But she was spinning out of control internally. And Jesus knows. The one who really seemed to be dropping the ball was Mary, chillaxing at Jesus' feet. But she's accepted this invitation that Jesus extends to us today. So in chapter 10, Jesus is saying, go out, spread healing, love everywhere, love everyone, but don't stress. Here's how you do it. Have a seat, relax, here, sit down. So to understand Martha, I want you to picture one of those great old playground toys, a roundabout. It's a flat piece of metal with metal handles. You know what I'm talking about. It kind of rotates. And the game is the last one on wins. You guys have played that, right? Nowadays, I don't know. Playgrounds are just not the same. And there's a lot of people with strong opinions on both sides, but those of us who grew up with dangerous playgrounds, who wants to see some of that come back? Come on. There's... There's something that's really good for kids about monkey bars over concrete. (laughs) Really? I mean, teeter-totters made of wood, splinters, metal, you know. Who doesn't need a good teeter-totter in the jaw once in a while? Um, But this thing, this thing, this roundabout or merry-go-round, you know what I'm talking about? It's, you know, you just, it spins faster and faster and faster and you're, you know, the trick, the trick, if you want to win, right, what is the trick? Go to the center, right? If you're in the very middle, all your friends are hanging on, starting to fly off. But if you get in the center, you can win and, and maybe not get a concussion. But imagine Martha on one of those, but it's huge. And she doesn't know she's on it. It's gigantic. And... It's not that she's flying around and around, but imagine she's trying to go about her stuff, but she's just kind of being pulled a little bit, right? You know, you, can, you don't even know what's going on, but she's living her life, and that thing is spinning, and it's spinning somewhat slowly, but, you know, you try to walk, and you, you kind of get pushed further and further away from the center, and you don't even, and maybe you stabilize yourself and you kind of hang on a little bit. You try to go somewhere else and, you know, you just get pushed farther and farther away. Imagine this humong- humongous roundabout and Martha, who looks like she's got it all together. She's the one who runs stuff. She's the one who, uh, you know, is giving orders, is giving direction to everybody else. But she's just getting pulled, you know, little by little. I did a little physics research, and it gets a little complicated, but, and I don't understand it. But there's two forces, centripetal, which is a real force, the force that kind of keeps you into the center. Think of it as gravity, a real force that keeps uh, planets orbiting, things like that. 
And then there's centrifugal force. You've heard of that. It's not a real force, apparently. It's, uh, it's really just inertia, one of the Newton's laws of motion that want, makes you want to keep going the way you're going. But centrifugal, the word in Latin means to flee from the center. And um, so let's think of Martha as fleeing or at least drifting. She wasn't drunk, so I don't mean that. But, you know, just kind of getting pulled away from the center. And there's Mary sitting in the center. Martha, who was she? She invites Jesus to her house. It's not her sister's house. It's her house. She was the type who was in charge. She never hesitated to speak up. A little bit later, when Jesus comes to her home after her brother has died, Martha confronts Jesus. She goes right up to him and says, If you had come earlier, Lazarus wouldn't have died. She's questioning Jesus. And Jesus, you know, weeps. He cares for his friend. And then Jesus says, roll away the stone, open the tomb. And Martha is like, jumps in again. She doesn't feel shy about about saying, Jesus, it's been four days, the smell. Don't, don't do it. I've got some suggestions on how you should run your ministry, Jesus. You know, you're really, you're really kind of going off the beaten track here. And Jesus is standing there. I can imagine him just being like, Martha, I'm, I'm doing a miracle here. You know, just, just hold that, hold that thought. Martha's like, Jesus, I, I know what to do here. Well, here she is. Again, speaking up. And what does she do? She has a problem with someone. She has a problem with her sister. Her sister's not helping. So what does she do? She tries to triangle Jesus. Do you notice that? She doesn't go to Mary and say, Hey, sister, I need some help. She goes to Jesus, and uh, she tries to triangle him in. We do that sometimes, right? She goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you even care? Get her to help me. I'm doing all the work here. So she's not only saying she has a problem with Mary, but she's also questioning Jesus, questioning his motives, questioning whether he even cares or not. She doesn't hesitate to jump in. Jesus, make Mary see it my way. Why aren't you telling her I'm right? Don't you care? That approach never works with Jesus. It happens a lot in the New Testament. People are always coming up to Jesus and trying to create a triangle with him. Uh, Hey, Jesus, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? Caesar wants us to pay taxes. That doesn't work. Hey, Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Jesus never takes the bait. He's always a non-anxious presence. He doesn't get drawn into these kinds of squabbles. And Martha's blatant. If you don't do what I want, then you don 
And Jesus has surprising answers to people all the time. The respected leaders, he calls them sneaky snakes and freaks everybody out. And here's his beloved Martha, who's way out of line, and he just looks at her with this tender love, and he says, Martha, Martha. He's not just putting her off. Oh, Martha, Martha. He's he's looking at her and saying, Martha, Martha. He wants something better for her. And the original language, this repetition is very important. It happens throughout the Bible. David says it when his son is dead. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. It shows a real depth of feeling. He says it when he's weeping over the people he loves. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he says it most poignantly on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. He's saying the same kind of depth of feeling to Martha. Martha, Martha. He loves her. He hurts with her in her turmoil. And still, it doesn't really look like turmoil to us. It looks like she's large and in charge and has the world by the tail, and other people just need to shape up and get with the program. But Jesus knows her inside and out. She's the decisive one, the leader. She looks competent on the outside, but inside, Jesus can see she's a mess. The language, the interesting thing about the the original language, it's interesting in Greek, perispaumai is the word uh, that describes her anxiety. It means to be pulled from around or to be pulled in all directions. That's what got me thinking about the roundabout. You know, just the peri uh, is from the word perimeter. From all the way around, pulled in every, every direction. And again, that's kind of an internal pulling. And in contrast, the word in the original language that describes Mary's posture uses the word para, para, like alongside. Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet alongside the master rather than being pulled in all directions. Martha's case, she is experiencing this by serving Jesus. Have you ever felt like you look like you were in control, but inside stuff is flying in all directions? And there's a a lack of peace, a lack of harmony. You might feel like, you know, you got it all together, but inside you're just spinning out of control. You don't know which way to look. Stuff seems to be coming at you from all directions. You might be anxious, unsatisfied, unhappy. I know I've experienced that. And here's Martha. And what is she doing? 
She's doing something good. She's showing hospitality in that culture. It was very important. And she's showing hospitality to Jesus. She's doing ministry. And yet, she has this inner turmoil that spins her farther and farther away from the center. She's doing hospitality, and I bet she was pretty good at it. I bet she had a lot of things in the oven. And, you know, it looked like she had ten hands. But it's pulling her away from her guests. The hospitality she's so good at is causing her to forget the purpose of hospitality, connection, personal connection, relationship with the guest. So here she is. She's questioning his motives. The contrast with Mary. She's standing over Jesus and there's a, you know, kind of a physical thing where you're standing over against Someone while Jesus is sitting and Martha is sitting with Jesus. Um, Mary is sitting with Jesus and Martha is standing over him, questioning him, speaking rashly out of her own understanding, trying to get people to understand her instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus to understand him. The three words for anxiety in verses 40 and 41 get increasingly strong. The first one is, Jesus, don't you care? It means, uh, don't you have concern? Aren't you concerned that, you know, um, things aren't going right? And Jesus' answer to her would have been, no, I'm not anxious. I'm not worried about dinner being a little bit late or earned. I'm not worried because... He had come out of the desert where Satan tempted him and said, turn these bread, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, I'm good. Man doesn't live by bread alone. You know, he's not anxious and worried. The next word gets a little stronger. And um, in the original language, it means something like uh, really concerned that something horrible is going to happen. And if you look at Martha, someone who's always pointing the finger, someone who's saying that other people don't measure up, um, you guys aren't doing it right, come on, get it done better. What does that often mean? When you're pointing the finger and saying, you don't measure up, you don't measure up, oftentimes it belies an internal insecurity where you have a lot of fear that you're not measuring up that was the inner turmoil that Jesus saw in Martha the language is not just about this this day in the kitchen hey help me you know it's only fair the language suggests that Martha had a continual habit of being anxious constantly. And Jesus knew them very well. You're habitually anxious and unhappy because you habitually need things to happen your way. The third time the word is used, 
It's, it's the strongest usage. And it's something like, you know, Jesus is saying, you're worried and upset over many things. It means upset to the point of a riotous, uh, calamitous kind of commotion that is used when people die, a wailing kind of at death. So it's like Martha's saying, if you don't help me in the kitchen, I'm going to die. A little bit of an overreaction. Have you ever seen that in yourself? Your reaction doesn't really match the circumstances. Martha's got that going on. How about us? Do you have a lot of emotional emotional non-negotiables? Emotional non-negotiable. Say that 10 times fast. Martha does. Are you irritated easily by others who just don't get it or in the way, don't get with the program? And does that make you suspicious with God? Do you wonder if he cares? When you're overly critical of others, pointing that finger of blame, judging others, it shows that you're worried about that for yourself. Do you measure up? You might find yourself increasingly desperate to prove yourself somehow with some kind of work, even selfless service for God or for others. God help me, even preparing a sermon on this very subject. I'm pretty sure I'm positive that this week I stood over Jesus and said, don't you care? Tell Mary to help me. As I was preparing this, oh, the irony. Maybe you find that in yourself. Thomas Merton lived and wrote a lot about a life of prayer, and he wrote this. He said, the rush and pressure of modern life are a form of its innate violence To allow myself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many projects, to want to help everyone and everything is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of the activist destroys the fruitfulness of one's own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes work fruitful. What does Mary do? She gets at Jesus' feet and listens. Everyone understood this was a posture of a disciple. This was somewhat scandalous. Women weren't allowed to be learners at the feet of rabbis, but here she is. Maybe part of what Martha, the inner turmoil that's going on in Martha is all kinds of things. Jealousy, scandal, Mary, someone might see you. You can't sit at Jesus' feet. Get up and do your womanly duties in the kitchen. They're watching. But here she is. And she's at peace. She submits to the word of God. Intellectually. Emotionally. It may be, we don't know if it's the same Mary, but I preached here recently about Mary anointing Jesus' feet and the scandal that caused. Let's say it's the same Mary. 
Here she is again in public now, sitting at Jesus' feet, touching him, using her hair to wipe his feet. And Jesus says, leave her alone. She's anointing me for my burial. He had told his disciples that he was going to die and none of them seemed to get it except Mary. And Mary, indeed, was alone at the foot of the cross. Why? Maybe the disciples didn't have time to understand, to fit the idea of the Messiah in with someone who's dying on a cross. It didn't fit in their preconceived notion of the Messiah. He's supposed to kick Rome out and elevate me to my rightful place, not get captured and beaten and tortured and die. So I got to run away and figure it out. Maybe Mary was a little bit ahead of the game because she had been sitting at his feet and not anxiously striving. Jesus himself was completely submitted to the word of God. He said, I could call legions of angels, but so the scripture will be fulfilled, I will go to the cross. When big things happen in our lives, you don't get a chance to think, you just react with what's inside you. What was inside Jesus was God's word. He was soaked in it. Mary was soaking in it. Can we? Because Jesus submitted to God's word. Paul writes, God exalted him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Are you open to God's word, ready to submit? Maybe, maybe you're just open to the parts of it that you can understand that fit your preconceived notions. Are you pulled by many concerns? Jesus Mary has chosen one thing that's needed. And that one thing is the point of hospitality itself, the interchange between the host and the guest. Psalm 27 says this, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Charles Spurgeon said this about sitting at the feet of Jesus. It means strength, for they that sit with Jesus and feed upon him are girded with his strength. The joy of the Lord is their strength. It means wisdom for they that learn of the Son of God understand more than the ancients because they keep his statutes. It means zeal for the love of Christ fires hearts that live upon it. And they that are much with Jesus become like Jesus so that the zeal of the Lord's house eats them up. Now maybe you don't want to be eaten up by the zeal of the Lord. I get that. Maybe you think you have to be a, a little bit of a zealot, a wacko, 
crackpot to be a Christian. And I used to think that. I did. That was a long time ago. But um, then I became one. (laughs) Part of it was meeting real, down-to-earth, intelligent, articulate people who are also consumed by love for Jesus. You don't have to be a nut job. All in for something bigger than myself, my own little world, my petty jealousies, my fickle desires, my need for things to be just so. That was a turning point in my life. Jesus extends that invitation to us today. Sit at my feet. That is the one thing needed. In order to do all that other stuff from Luke 10, to go out as disciples, boldly proclaiming, to love your neighbor, really, all of them. Sit at my feet. Submit to the gospel. The news that your brokenness, even yours, all of it, is forgiven and you are loved that stubborn life on your terms you knowing what to do what's best it's not just it's just not going to work out you're going to spin out of control at least internally and holding it together on the outside is temporary at best letting go of that anxious striving and resting at the feet of the one who is love, submitting to his word. It might bring you some hard truths, like we heard last week, love your neighbors, all of them, even them, or the truth that your carefully controlled expertise will never quiet your heart or still the spinning, pulling of anxious striving that threatens to tumble you farther and farther from the center. That truth demonstrated by a loving master can feed and strengthen you until you can give all you have and all you are and you're at peace knowing that his sacrifice brings you back into that center, adopts you into the family like we said last week, empowers you as part of his body called to join his work of renewing the whole world with that barrier-breaking love that only Jesus can bring. Let's pray. God, you say that only you can quiet our anxious hearts. we tend to run after other options. Ones that seem to make sense to us. Fighting, hiding, pretending. God, will you cut through all of that today? Invite us in. Show us the way that you have for us to do that. Amen.